Hello everyone, you're listening to Game Rivals, a podcast where a Nintendo fan and a PlayStation fan talk about the latest games and happenings in the gaming community and industry. I'm one of your hosts, Maximilian X, and together with Sean Templar, we bring you this bi-weekly podcast about video games. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode from the Game Rivals. Um, this is our second episode, but we're going to introduce ourselves right here. I am Maximilian X, and sitting across from me from the interwaves is Sean Templer. Hey, Sean. Hey, Max. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm great, man. It's good to be back. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, um, since the first episode, we did not introduce ourselves to our lovely audience, the other rivals, um, I figured that it's best that we introduce ourselves to our audience so that they know um, what our background is and what we're about in terms of gamers. Um, Sean Templer, would you like to start us off? Yeah, thank you. So, my name is Sean Templer. I am... I've been playing games for a long, long time. I believe that my first console was the Nintendo Entertainment System. I had a Super Nintendo after that. And after that, I switched to PlayStation. Been a PlayStation gamer since then, so like for the years. Um, I love PlayStation games in general. I also play a few PC games. And currently, I'm playing a lot of Battlefield 5 on the, on the PC. And besides that, looking forward to a lot of games. Um, maybe you can share, shed some more light on yourself, uh, Max. Yeah, so I'm Maximilian X here, um, one of the other co-hosts of the Game Rivals. I have been gaming since I was seven years old when I got my first system, the Super Nintendo with uh, Super Mario World, obviously. Um, the game that got me into gaming that made me want to go like, yes, gaming is like the thing for me was Secret of Mana, of course. One of the best JRPGs hands down ever made you can challenge me on that one i will take you to task um i really love that game um <laughs> other than that yeah i've been a staunchy nintendo uh, fan for a really long time um except for the one stint that i took when everything suddenly moved to playstation and i'm a jrpg fan so of course i chased the jrpgs straight to the PlayStation. And that is the only time I've ever not bought a Nintendo system. Um, after that, I bought the GameCube. I had the the Wii, the Wii U. Uh, I've owned the PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, even holding the Xbox 360 for a while. Um, I'm also into PC gaming, of course. Um, the current the game I'm currently playing right now is uh, Smash Brothers Ultimate. Um, doing my practice rounds on that, and as well as uh, a little bit of Okami HD uh, from time to time. Nice, thank you. Yeah. So, as last week we had like a few, uh, last week or two weeks ago, we had a few uh, segments, and I think we have remasters and live game services coming up this week, I believe. Yeah, so this week we're going to talk about uh, remasters, um, good or bad, uh, what, what they mean, are they cash grabs, um, you're going to hear about uh, all of that and more. Um, later, we're also going to talk about the live, uh, the games as a service, as a live service um, that, that has been popping up really. Like, well, yeah. we'll get into, like, <laughs> why it's called that. I mean, it, in terms of logic, it makes sense to call it something like that. Maybe they'll find a better term for it down the road. But for now, we call them live services because, well, 
you get to hear about him uh, in a bit. So that's a tease right there. Um, so let's take a quick break and get back to you guys right after this. And we're back. And we're going to start our first segment about uh, the topic of remasters, especially since we've been seeing a lot of remasters lately, um, especially during this generation alone, starting with the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One uh, remasters that we've seen uh, across the board, especially in the early days of the console's uh, life cycles. And even now into the Switch with all the remasters that we're getting with uh, Dark Souls uh, remastered and the Okami HD remaster, um, and all the likes of that. So, um, yeah, uh, let's talk about that, Sean. Uh, what do you think about things? Yeah, so, like, what I love about remasters is that, like, if you, for example, had a an Xbox in the previous gen and you have a PlayStation right now, you missed out on a couple of good games. So what I love about remasters is that, like, there's a way for you to play the newer the older games on a newer system and like benefit from the advantages of the new system such as better resolution or prettier graphics and i think that that from sony's perspective we've seen a few games that like really nailed this we've got shadow of the colossus which was a ps2 game and it like completely built it from the ground up for the playstation 4 and you can like actually see the time and effort they put into it but also games like the last of us which was remastered or maybe even ported to the uh, PlayStation 4 because there was like a small gap between it. It was not like, like a long time. Um, the Uncharted collection was also transferred over to the PS4 and like all these games then get stuff like 60 FPS frame rates and 4K resolutions. Um, but we've also seen it with, with Microsoft. Microsoft brought their Master Chief collection from the older Xboxes to the new Xbox One. So you could like enjoy the older Halo games, which came out on the original Xbox or on the Xbox 360. So yeah, like I'm I'm happy with it, um, especially because like for example, Yakuza Kiwami was a game that was a remake of Yakuza One. I never got to play it. Yeah. So the the yeah. So the Kiwami games are actually remasters. But let's let's bring it back real quick to the difference between a remaster and a port, because. Um, so here's the thing with the games that you mentioned, like um, on the, the Uncharted Collection. I guess if you if you twist my arm, I would call that a remaster, since they actually do change just enough, like they improve the game just enough to call it mm -hmm. a remaster. Um, but like a lot of those are like ports. So like The Last of Us is a port. Um, the Halo, the Halo Master Chief Collection, that one is actually remastered because those games were built from the ground up to be playable on those systems. But let's let's be honest and see what at least at least those remasters or ports are the reason why they exist, and that is because no backwards compatibility. There's no backwards compatibility with the play with at least. <laughs> Early on, there was no backwards compatibility with the okay. PlayStation 4. You couldn't get PlayStation 3 games on PSN on, P on PlayStation 4. You have PlayStation Now mm -hmm. for that. You have Xbox One that didn't have any backwards compatibility at all. Something they added later and has become one of their key features next to the Game Pass. 
And actually, it's not just the fact that you can play those games on the Xbox One. Some games are actually enhanced to run even better on Xbox One or Xbox One X. So that's honestly, I think, one of the main reasons why some of these remasters and ports exist. Um, there are some games that um, don't really quite fit the port, like uh, Shadow of the Colossus is one of them, because that one goes built directly from the ground up, because as amazing as the Shadow of the Colossus game is, um, it didn't run smooth on the PlayStation 2. I, mean, I played it on a PlayStation 2, and I bought the remake on PlayStation 3, and they both kind of run the same. The only difference is, is that the PlayStation 3 version had a higher resolution. And that's kind of it. But, like, I haven't bought the PlayStation 4 version yet because mm, triple dipping is great and all. But I probably wouldn't get it right now because I'm busy playing other games. Um, so I'd need to make a bit of a dent in my back catalog before I even consider picking that one up again. But I do want to play that game and I do want to actually play it as intended because at least from the the reviews that I saw about the PlayStation 4 version is that it actually runs smooth. The physics have changed because of this, so it plays a little bit differently than the than the port to PlayStation 3 or the original game ever did. So those are things that I feel like if you're going to do that, if you're going to if you're going to create a new version of an existing game on an on the current gen platform then make it worthwhile either add a bunch of stuff or improve the gameplay to a point where it feels just different enough that you wouldn't mind playing it again and experiencing the game again i at least that's yeah, how like, i feel about i understand it. where you're going and that's maybe like the idea behind this topic is that like are remasters that's like maybe the overarching question we have or try to answer is like are remasters a way for people to experience games they missed out on due to other consoles or not be able to play it or are remasters uh like a quick cash grab for um developers or publishers because like a certain handheld console is starting to sell suddenly and maybe some developers and publishers want to earn some money on that like on the switch are you trying to throw shade <laughs> no at the but like switch? let me give you an example you can't throw shade at the switch on like, that let, level, let me man. put it You'd this way lose. you'd lose man. <laughs> skyrim for example is the perfect example is that that game originally came out on the pc the playstation 3 and the xbox 360 and then they brought out a version on the current gen console then they brought out, I believe, at the same time, an enhanced edition on the PC. They brought out a version for VR. They brought out a version for the Switch. And like... They brought out a version for the toaster. Yeah, I get it. They have like, a lot of versions of Skyrim. What my issue with these kinds of games is like that, for example, when you bought the... Um, when you bought it on PlayStation 3, there was no way to like get it cheaper on the PlayStation 4. Whereas on the PC, you would get the enhanced edition for free or as like a smaller price you'd have to pay. So you would be beneficial from a PC point of view. But like you had to buy it again on the PlayStation 4 
And I believe you also had to buy the VR version separately. So like that's Bethesda taking your money three times for the same game. And now they're bringing in or they brought it to the Switch. And like, that's what I'm trying to go with. Is this a cash grab for them? Because yes, Skyrim wasn't a good, was an amazing game at the time, but you can't like keep on milking the same cow. I mean, eventually you just run out of milk. Well, uh, to be fair, in terms of Skyrim, I almost bought that one, but a friend of mine was like, why are you buying Skyrim Exactly. Again? Mostly because I like playing Skyrim and I like being in that world. It's fun. At least it's fun for me. Um, I put like, I think maybe mm, last I checked almost 200 hours into the original Skyrim on PC. Plus an additional 50 hours on my Xbox 360 back in the day. So, yeah, I put in a lot of hours in Skyrim. I kind of now feel like... <laughs> no, but, but, no, but here's the thing with Skyrim and um, how the reason why that exists. I mean, it's the same reason why the Doom part exists on Switch. It exists as a way to test the waters for the publisher, for, for Bethesda to... See if they if if they put out a game on a Nintendo system, if people would a be interested in it and b if it would make them money if they were to port their games to the Switch, which it did. Skyrim Skull sold pretty well. Doom sold pretty well. Um, Wolfenstein: The New Order sold pretty well on Switch as well. And those are actually not half bad ports, but those are still ports. They aren't remasters. Well, except for the Skyrim one. That one technically is a remaster but the doom and the wolfenstein one are just ports um and i i feel that like depending on the game and depending on when it came out you can say that yeah that's a remaster as a cash grab um but there are like for okay actually a very really good example of, of this is the Mega Man legacy collection now, the Mega Man Lexi collection came out on everything under the sun, even on the 3DS. Why? Because it's a very easy way for Capcom to cash in on the Mega Man craze. Because there hasn't been a new Mega Man game since Keiji Inafuna left, um, since Keiji Inafuna left Capcom. And the only thing that they've been doing is just profiting off fans of their merch sales and of the Legacy Collection. But what the Legacy Collection also told them was, hey, there are fans out there willing to buy Mega Man games over and over again, and these fans want new games. It's the only reason why Mega Man 11 exists. That is literally the only reason why the game exists, because honestly, I don't think that if the Legacy Collections didn't do that well, there would not be a new Mega Man game. That franchise would be nothing but merch and nostalgia. I'm, I'm going to do something crazy right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go back a bit to the part where you said that Doom sold and Skyrim sold and Wolfenstein sold. And, I, and I'm, I'm on thin ice here, but I'm still going to say this. I th isn't the reason, like, that's my perspective. I think the reason those games mm. sold on Switch is because there is nothing else on the Switch to play Besides the Nintendo games that sometimes come out, which are amazing games, I'll give you that. But, like, there are so many gaps or moments in the Switch's lineup, as, as I feel or as I see it, when I think, like, 
Okay, but there's and that's why I sold my Switch. Like I bought a Switch, I played Zelda, I was going to buy Mario Odyssey, but after, I thought like, okay, but what else can I play? Okay, maybe I can play Mario Kart. Okay, but there's three games. But what else is there to play that interests me? Every other game that you like to play, except you couldn't play on the go. But like, that's like, what I'm saying. Like, like, like for like for example, like for example, like I mean, I don't know. The, the, here's the thing. I don't know, like, I know what some of your gaming tastes are. But for example, um, the Dragon Ball Fighters, like that is on Switch. Like that is a current game. I mean, it took a little bit before it came out on the Switch. That's fine. But that is also one of the reasons why the Switch, like the Switch, has a lot of games. Like if you go to the eShop, you will be drowning in games like so much so that the switch the the eShop can't even handle it and they basically need to remodel the entire thing because it's like really difficult to find like a game that you actually want to play and that's there actually good games? But there's like so but there's like there's like a lot of i mean there's a lot of like a lot of good games but there's also a lot of okay games on the eShop which are just basically getting drowned out by one another because that's what i'm trying to get at with so, like this remaster part is like is are a lot of developers pushing their games towards the Switch because there isn't a lot to play or like triple A on the Switch so that like they can and earn on it and like ha make Switch owners happy because like hey we have a few triple A games you can play seeing as there might not be something else to play because you have to wait a couple of years before Nintendo brings out something cool again and like I'm just like oh, well, I'm if... just taking it a bit out of uh, context now but like that's how I, from an outer perspective, look at it like that's why I think like it's a cash grab because they try to fill in the gap, which is a smart business move. But I don't, yeah, like. Well, if that was if that was the case, then they would have done the same thing on Wii U, which they did not. Mostly because the sales, the 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 install base wasn't there. Like if if you don't have the like, this is gonna be like like a little switch <laughs> here right now. But if but no, but here's the thing. If the Switch didn't sell as well as it did, do you really think that they would be trying to port all these games? No, they know that there That's why is they're doing it because it's selling. Not just the, like it's it's because it's exactly exactly. Thank you. It's because it's selling. That's why it's happening. So you may call it a crash grab, and that's fine. But I see that remakes like port the the things that are getting the the most things is ports like remakes necessarily don't factor in because when you do a remake or a remaster you put in a way you put in way more effort than you do than you would with a port technically because if it's a port that means that the assets exist and the only thing that you're doing is making it run on another system um but when you go to a remaster something like say um the the street fighter game uh, street fighter 2 that came out on uh xbox live and playstation the two the like the 2D HD remake. The only reason that one existed was also kind of to gauge fan interest because there hasn't been there hadn't at that time been a new uh, Street Fighter game since Third Strike on PlayStation 2. So that franchise has been dormant for at least I think 5 years back then before they decided, you know what, let's see if we can do this thing on the newer consoles and port Street Fighter 2 and then like redraw all the sprite work into like this beautiful artwork and see if that catches people's interest. 
And that's why we finally got Street Fighter 4. Street Fighter 5 is a different story, not a bad one per se, but it's still a different story. But it's the reason why fighting games fighting games came back big and hard, and it's why Evo like had this resurgence because Evo was like mostly just Marvel versus Capcom 2 at that point, and um, Street Fighter uh, Third Strike mostly, and it wasn't really that big. Like people knew about it, but if it wasn't for that remaster being successful and bringing us a new version of Street Fighter, I don't know if we still have fighting games as a as a genre except for like maybe Mario like, like Smash Brothers, Soul Calibur. But those are like games that come out. Let me re- let me year. rephrase that. 2D yeah. fighters. And also, yeah, I mean I mean the like Tekken was still doing decent enough to have games and the same went with uh Soul Calibur. Okay, but let me put it this way cuz so um Yes, the, the, the Switch is selling, and yes, that's good. But what, and that's why I'm like going so deep into the subject because like, we have different opinions on this. But instead of developers investing into original IPs and coming up with original games for the Switch, they grab from their backlog and port it or remaster it and put it out on the Switch. And that's where I'm, what's what I mean with like the cash grab part. Like, if the Switch is so amazing, then why are developers not coming up with original games and like opt to choose the safe road and say, you know what, I'll just uh, I'll just uh, bring out my ports because maybe that's uh, and that's not my perspective, but I can't remember like a game EA brought to the Switch, which was an original IP or which was like a big name besides the FIFA maybe. Um, Ubisoft made well, that hot last EA, game with the... well, EA, well, EA's and. Well, EA's and Nintendo's relationship have been rocky since... Okay, but Activision... Has Activision the, done the something? The whole with the Is it like a, there's no Call of Duty game or, or any... St- like, I can't remember any... Yeah, Activision's relationship with Nintendo is... But isn't that the problem that Nintendo around. doesn't have... <laughs> like, it's starting to get better. In, in the previous generations, it was less, but it's... Yeah, it's starting to get better. They don't have enough yeah. third-party uh, relations to, like, leverage it or, like, use it in a good way. Like, you see that with, um, with with Sony, for example, in that they tend to, like their strategy for the last few years has been that they bring out their games in the first quarter or in the first half of the year. And then at the end of the year or in the second half of the year, they lean more on third parties. For example, that Destiny comes out and it has exclusive content on the PlayStation or that Red Dead Redemption came out last year and it had content that would come first to PlayStation. Because... Um, normally, like during the PS3 era, Sony would bring out their games in like the October month. They would bring out, for example, Uncharted in that in that like Q3 time. But like the last few years, you've seen that like there's been this shift towards Sony saying, you know what, we're going to do everything in the first six months so that we can A, sell our games without like suffering under other big names. And two, it is a quite calm and like boring time in the games biz uh, in the first half of the year because generally there's a lot of coming out so like they can also like grab more people's attention that way and Nintendo like doesn't have that third party support to lean on so like yeah it's cool that Bethesda does this and yeah it's cool that Blizzard ported Diablo over but then again that's a game that also came out on the PS4 and on the Xbox One and that's where I'm going again when is it a cash grab because 
I want to see original IP on the Switch, which I'm not seeing besides Nintendo, which again makes amazing games. But we need more. Like I would love to see more original IP on the Switch instead of just old games we've already played. Because one of the things I had with my Switch was that I was looking for games to play, and then I would find the game, and then I would also see that this game is available on, for example, the PlayStation, or that I already had played the game, and I would think like. Yeah, I'll just play it on PlayStation, or I'll just oh, I already played it. You know, never mind. I'm just gonna not gonna buy this again. So that's where I'm going with. Well, then that, well, that means that wow, you have like the reverse of like what everybody that I've ever heard about talk about Switch, which is more people are like, well, my my, because <laughs> here's the thing, like like let I mean let, let let's look at it from this way, um, if. Like the reason why a lot of people are buying Switch versions of certain games is because it's portable. Like they are not tethered to the TV. If they want to play it on the big screen, they can. If they want to play it on the can, they can. If they want to play it in their bed, they can. If they want to play it on the subway, they can. It's the reason why people are more tending towards like getting the Switch version, if even though they've already bought like. Uh, a version of that game on the PlayStation 4 or PC or Xbox One or on an older system as well. The thing, though, that you have to remember is that we're only in the second year of the Switch. Uh, when you're looking at the first year of the PlayStation 4 or the Xbox One, those two had pretty, like, a whole lot of remasters. I mean, I can remember back in 2014, people were like, so when are we going to get new games for these new shiny boxes that we have instead of getting all these ports of games that literally came out a year ago on the previous generation? <laughs> like, I mean, come on. At least with, with Switch, you can say, oh, it's been a couple of years. Maybe you want to play it again, but this time like in a portable format where you can take it anywhere and play with anyone. We did get a few good games in 2014. But, I mean, Destiny came out... We got uh, Dragon Age. That was a game. We got Shadow of uh, that was Mordor. Also a game. Like Shadow of Mordor, for example, was my underdeck of the. No, that wasn't 2014, was it? It is. Let me just double check was that it? for you before we say something which we uh, messed up like last time. <laughs> 30 yeah. September 2014. <laughs> yeah, the thing that I'm referring to okay. is that I thought right. that okay, Mass Effect right. Andromeda came out uh, last year. But uh, on further investigation, no, it turned out to be March 2017. So a correction for that one. But like, <laughs> I see, I have a list in front of me yeah. with a lot of games that came out in 2014. Um, partially, it's multi-platform. Yeah, it's not as, as strong as, as it is now. But like, I see Far Cry. No, because I see it takes Big time. Planet. I see Sunset Overdrive. I see Titanfall. So there are like a few games, and yeah, like. It needs to build up. It's like a diesel train. It needs to grab its momentum. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's going to build up. And I think, like, 2019, I think, is going to be like... Because 20... Here's the thing. 2017 for the Switch was monumental in terms... Like, for any console out there, it would have been considered monumental. Because besides from the games that Nintendo themselves put out, there were a lot of games that also either received the port or had a um or like had a very brief stint on like switch as a timed exclusive 2018 didn't really have that so it, the most thing that we're carrying on the switch were either third-party games 
third-party ports or indie titles. And like we had a ridiculous amount of really good indie titles that came out on multiple systems, but most people played it on the Switch because that was really handy. Because you can take that stuff like anywhere, and those are those are like really well tailored for something like the Switch because you can just play like quick bite-sized uh, levels and then like put it away like in your bag or whatever. Like that's how I played Celeste, for example. I played a lot of Celeste, and to be fair, I still haven't finished <laughs> Celeste, but I'm working on that. Full disclosure. But the point still remains that the most time I spent playing Celeste, playing Okami, playing... Okay, not Smash. I mostly play with the GameCube controller, so I'm kind of stuck with that. But playing anything. Like, even... Um, like, Ashley, especially Xenoblade Chronicles 2, for example. I played that mostly portable. I think I even beat that game on, in portable mode instead of on my TV. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you're tired and you don't really want to sit in the living room. You just want to lay in bed and, like, just play, like, a quick session of, like, whatever game that is currently, you know, on your Switch or in the or in the game slot. So I think in terms of when you're talking about remasters that are specifically coming to the Switch, they, yes, they fill a hole mostly because there is that hole to fill. But I also feel that developers are using that to buy time to actually make switch specific games and i feel that in 20 at least in 2019 and definitely in 2020 we're gonna see a lot more games appearing on the switch that are either specifically made for the switch like um marvel marvel ultimate alliance 3 that is a switch exclusive yeah me and nintendo um, uh, published by nintendo so it is it is something that's starting to get you know it's starting to gear up like in earnest I think this year we're going to see a lot of that, uh, more like original titles coming to Switch. But I th also think, and I also appreciate the fact that we will see remakes, not just on Switch, but also on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Because there are some games that are either way too old that just doing like a straight port or like adding backwards compatibility to do it doesn't add enough, or um, the original game had game-breaking bugs so having that remaster to fix those problems is essentially a good thing plus you get a lot of people that maybe missed out on it or weren't born um to actually experience a new game now when we talk about bad games that got a remaster one springs to mind that came out in 2018 I think. I think I know which game you uh, which... are referring to, and I'm kind of shocked that that game <laughs> found a second lease on life. I mean, it should have just crashed and burned. Oh, yeah? If you know it, then say it. It's Resident Evil it. 6. You know it. That was not the one I was going oh, to say. Oh, you're not But that is one... No, but that is also one of the games that I would be like, why on earth would you? Even I don't know if that, that one came out last year, but it is re-released on the, on the God? Uh, PlayStation and on the Xbox. And like, I have no idea why they did that. There's like the game on on the PlayStation Three and on the Xbox was like critically critically panned. It was like completely butchered, and. Um, <laughs> 
I don't I don't know saying like that is like in my opinion a bad remaster and that's like a poor business decision to bring that game over and like nobody loved it when it came out this last generation why would people love it this generation if you're not fixing what made the game bad Yeah true true the game that I was talking about actually was the remake the remaster actually in fact of Secret of Mana for PlayStation 4 and PC now that game was terrible like i mean it's the reason i didn't pick it up even though secret of mana is my favorite game of all time just watching like just seeing it on the screen doesn't film it doesn't fill me with joy <laughs> and then i saw the i read the reviews and i listened to the reviews and I saw the reviews and it filled your eyes up with and I was like (laughs) and I was just filled with profound sadness (laughs) profound sadness now that is something now that is a remake done absolutely wrong like if you're if you're a publisher if you're a developer if you're listening to this for some reason thank you um second of all please don't ever make a remake as bad as secret of mana again either just give me a straight virtual console like port or if you're gonna do it at least make it 2d and make it gorgeous and make it to have it make sense just don't don't do this this like that that just made me sad well, I'm I'm glad I never played it. I I really was looking forward to finally getting a Secret of Mana the remaster, and this just kind of well, it doesn't poop on the <laughs> legacy, but it but it does leave a bad impression with people that never played the series, and yeah, I mean, it, it yeah, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, wow! I actually didn't think we would find one. I didn't, but I I guess didn't know did. that it was such a two. In fact, that it affected you <laughs> so so badly. I'm kind of shocked by it. Oh uh, man, <laughs> no, no, and and any any anything that takes a takes a crapper on my on the on the secret of mana legacy. Do you want? Me, let, um, let me just quickly really give you sad. one, and then we can wrap the segment off. You know what hurts me profoundly? Yeah. I'm a huge Metal Gear Solid fan. I that's my favorite game ever, and then. We we oh, had the great debacle with uh, Metal Gear Solid Five. That what happened, and like it, I was sad about what happened and how it how it played out. And then they brought out Metal Gear Survive or whatever it's called, and that's like <laughs> dumping yeah, a that's huge battle. shitload on one of the best franchises ever. And then I still don't understand yeah, totally, why totally. they did that. Like, <laughs> If I were to work at Kojima Productions or whatever it's called these days, like, I mean, like Kojima Productions relaunch is a great company, but like the old team at Konami, I would instantly like resign and say, hey, I can't be part of this, man. I can't do this because we're like, <laughs> this is like blasphemy. We can't do this. That that hurts like deep down inside. So I, I kind of understand your secret of mana pain. But like this was really, really bad. I I tried to play the demo to even give it a chance, but after five minutes, I thought, "Why are they?" Wait, that game had a demo. It was kind of like a beta or a demo, and like after a few minutes, I just quit. I was like, "I can't do this. Why is there a dude walking around with a crystal in his head? Why are they walking?" I don't even talk about it. It's just too. Like it hurts. I'm just. I'm just gonna shut up now. <laughs> All right. Okay. 
Well, let's end this segment. And after we come back after this quick break, we're going to talk about games as a life service. So stick around and we'll yeah. be right back. All righty, welcome back to our second segment of Game Rivals. And today we're going to talk about, or better said, in this segment, we're going to talk about games as live services. For people who don't know, and maybe for you who don't know, Max, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> games as live services is like, is a, it's a new trend we're seeing this generation in which when a game comes out, the developer or the publisher keeps supporting the game um, after launch, but also keeps trying to earn some more money after launch by adding season passes, for example, or microtransactions to this. Um, there are a few or loot boxes. Loot boxes, uh, definitely. That's uh, we have a nice uh, example coming up about loot boxes, which uh, mm. which completely went wrong. Um, so, like, <laughs> <laughs> there are a few developers slash publishers which kind of nailed the part of a live service, and there are a few developers and publishers which are forcing live services into their game which kind of ends in a bad way um like for example what we saw is that last gen we introduced the season pass you would pay either 50 or 60 bucks and then you would get like guaranteed content for your game such as um uh, booster packs or map packs or or weapons or whatever you call it i remember that battlefield and call of duty did this um, and then with this uh, generation, we kind of segged into more of the mobile support. So like your phone coming into play or your tablet coming into play. And then um, you would have apps on your phone, which you can use. I remember that Watch Dogs had this, Battlefield 4 had this, Assassin's Creed, Black Flag had this. It didn't kind of work. It was a bit too forced. Um so like we're seeing less of that. Most of that stuff is forced. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I tried uh, the Battlefield one, the Assassin's Creed one, and the Watch Dogs one. And on paper, it sounded really cool. But in, in practice, I was generally like, okay, but I want to play a game right now. I don't want to focus on my phone. So I don't want to bring this into the game. So that's kind of the things that, uh, that, uh, that they quickly stepped off of. So... Um, before we dive deeper into um, the other publishers and stuff, do does Nintendo do live services, Max? Because I don't really know or remember them doing stuff or they having games that do this. You're kidding, right? <laughs> no, that's why I'm asking this question. Unless you mean that huh. game well, that see, has... this, see, see, this is the reason why you sold your Switch because you do not know how to find games on your Switch. Because as you know, the game that everybody plays and has on literally everything, you know, except for Skyrim, is Fortnite. Because yeah, Fortnite. Fortnite is on Switch, just like it's on mobile, just like it's on your PlayStation 4, oh. and just like it's on your PC. Yeah. The same thing also goes for Warframe, which recently got ported thanks to Panic Button, which are, like we said, like, I, the, like for those that don't know, Panic Button is the developer that does a lot of switch parts like a re like the really good ones like doom and um uh wolfenstein new order um i think they're also doing the i'm not 100 percent. no no they're not doing the port actually it software is actually doing the port for the new wolfenstein game as well so 
panic button probably get some reprieve. They also did Rocket League, by the way, for Switch. Oh, that's nice. Which is also a service game that you buy once and then play for a long time. I'm wondering if the popularity of Rocket League has waned, but it's still like a lot of people still play Rocket League. I mean, a lot of people still play Warframe, and obviously, like a metric ton of people are still playing Fortnite. Um, but there, yeah, I mean, yeah, there are live games on Switch. I mean, they recently had a new game. Um, I think it's called Lightbringers. It's a card game. Like I honestly didn't hear it. I never heard about this game until I suddenly saw it on the eShop, and I was like, oh, another free-to-play game? Okay. <laughs> What's this? Oh, it's a card game. Okay. I played it for like about a minute, tried the the, the tutorial, but it felt... It didn't really engage me that much. It just felt like a poor man's versions of Gwent. You know, the card <laughs> game from uh, Witcher, The Witcher 3. Yep. Maybe aesthetic wise, it's trying to be a bit like Hearthstone, but it doesn't play like Hearthstone at all. Like, Hearthstone plays like a trading card game. This plays like a card game that was specifically made for either mobile or PC uh, first. So, like, the interface is like very controller friendly. I mean, it's. I guess it's all. I don't. I don't know. I maybe I, I'll have to give it a second try. But suffice to say, I have put in a lot of hours into Fortnite, especially when it came out. I played at least two seasons on the Switch, and yeah, I mean, it runs fine. It's fun. I only spent money once, which was for the season pass, for I think like for season four. Either for season four or for season five. And then I made enough V-Bucks during that season to buy the season, like the season pass or the battle pass, I think it's called. Yeah, the, pass, the battle pass for the season that came afterwards. And then I kind of fell off because it was way too much investment of time. Did you ever win a match? Oh, yeah. I've, I've, I've actually gotten some battle royales. Took a long time to get there, but I finally won some battle royales. Yeah. Well, then you're like on my you. own merit. Like the first, the first time I did it, I was so happy. I made a uh, a video capture on my Switch and I posted it directly to my Twitter page. <laughs> so it's like th it's like there forever for, for oh, people nice. to see my first victory area. It was amazing. Nice. Oh, you're better than <laughs> me at it because I really like I I played some Fortnite, and what I love about it is like it's available on everything, but I really suck at it. And like sometimes the the funny thing is. I don't know if you've ever encountered the the people that play with, for example, the John Wick skin, but yeah. you know that to get the John Wick skin, you have to put in a lot of hours or you can buy it. But generally, people put in a lot of hours to get that skin. And then when you're just walking around and you see somebody like, oh, cool, I can maybe take this guy on. And then you see that he has a John Wick skin. And then the first thing I just do is just turn around and run away because he either <laughs> kills me or I build like a small ramp and he builds a whole castle and then from that castle he shoots me. Like that's my main issue with the game. It's it, There's a lot of kids playing it and there's a lot of time investment in it. Uh, I just can't play it, man. I, I tried and I just die too quickly or I just don't have the patience yeah, but, for it. But that is one of the things with these live, like, live, like, live services, like games for, sorry, 
good grief, the wording is so... Yeah, weird. they call it live services. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, games as live services, that is one of the main things for it. I mean, next to, say, maybe um, fighting games, like for training for fighting tournaments or any tournament level kind of game, like, say, StarCraft Two or... Um, uh, what are Rainbow what are Six Siege, other, like Rainbow Six Siege or um, Call of Duty or uh, Battlefield or any anything that would be considered an esport like League of Legends, like those are time investments to build up skills and to get reward and to get rewarded for your skill. With these kind of games, like say for example Fortnite. And uh, Warframe, it's more about the rewards that you get by the time that you invest into said game. And yeah. that's where stuff like microtransactions come into play and loot boxes. Uh, oh boy, uh -oh. loot boxes. I mean, we don't really have to deal with them right now because they're essentially banned in the Netherlands and in Belgium. So you can't have a game that has loot boxes in it because they're considered gang gambling. But you can still have microtransactions as long as it's not blind packs. Yeah, so like, I don't know if you remember what happened with a little game called Star Wars Battlefront 2. Um, yes, I do. <laughs> before the game came out. And that's like kind of a, a bad example as a live service. And one of what I mean with like a publisher trying to force it is that, um, for example, EA had a lot of season pass games in the last generation and they tried to bring it over to this generation but they thought like okay why charge somebody 60 bucks once if i can charge you smaller increments and more often i'll make more and so when star wars battlefront 2 got announced they said okay we're gonna ditch the season pass we don't want to segment our player base which is a nice way of saying you know we know what we, we just want to earn more money if people can play more often together um, so they said, we're going to ditch the season pass. All content will be free. We're just going to keep in microtransactions there for, I believe they said initially cosmetic items, but what you could do and which they like turned off on the day before release is you could buy these loot boxes and then you could like gain XP boosts, I believe, or you could like rank up faster and you could get these game cards, which would have certain skills or certain abilities in the game. And somebody bought, I believe, the most expensive um, pack there was and realized that, hey, even though I've spent a lot of money into this game, I still don't have unlocked all the characters or I still don't have all the available stuff, even though I've poured a lot of money into it. And there was a lot of backlash. And then at this last moment, they turned it off, like the day before the game came out, which kind of hurt the game in the long run because it was constantly in the, in the media and it was constantly bad. And then the game came out. I bought the game because I like the Star Wars games and it was actually a fun game. But yeah, you notice that because of the backlash and the negativity around it, the game never actually got to its full potential. They're still supporting the game now. I believe it's in year two now. We might even enter year three this year. Um, so they uh, are... Battlefield 2? I mean... Uh, Battlefront, sorry, Battlefield 2. 2. <laughs> Battlefront 2? No, it's... it's, it's... Is it the second? Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is it's in its second year, I believe. We might even see a Yeesh. third year. Yeah, and like the problem is, is that you're also seeing it with Battlefield 5 now. With Battlefield 5, DICE said, we're going to ditch the season pass. We're going to, again, make sure that we don't segment our player base so that everybody can play together. And they call their, they actually have a name for their live service, which they call the Tides of War. And the Tides of War is like 
every month there's a theme and in that theme you have like multiple weeks and every week has different challenges so you can complete certain assignments and unlock weapons which is so a cool, basically Fortnite. yeah so like the, the, it's a cool system it works because that way they can for example bring in new weapons to the games or new modes or new unlocks and it kind of challenges you to play in a different way instead of just using the assault class or the support class or whatever you want to play the problem is that battlefield is currently in a kind of buggy state in which yes the game works and yes the game runs but either they fix a bug with a patch and they introduce other issues or they just can't reproduce certain issues i read an article the other day in which there's this currency in the game called company coin and you should automatically earn that and with that you can buy all sorts of stuff such as cosmetic items but for example there's an issue in the live game in the retail version of the game in which a bug causes you not to earn company coin and dice is unable to reproduce this issue because they internally use a test build which looks like the retail build but isn't the retail build so they are unable to Why reproduce they just get the retail build and like i don't know monitor the data from that i honestly don't know but they are unable to reproduce the issue so they have to find ways to reproduce the issue. That so it seems can like a it. stretch. Yeah, that's uh, one of the producers on Battlefield uh, explained this on Twitter in a series of tweets. Um, it sounds strange. There, there are probably reasons for them to use their build instead of the retail build. Um, but that's mm -hmm. kind of like what is happening now is like those kind of issues are plaguing Battlefield. And then what happens is like some people will eventually just stop playing the game because it's a great game in its core, but because of all sorts of issues and bugs, it's kind of crippling the game. Um, a different publisher, which is taking this in another direction is Ubisoft. Um, they have an approach in which they have multiple games right now and that has multiple live services, such as The Division has it, I believe For Honor does it, Rainbow Six Siege is heading into its fourth year, I believe, and they brought out season passes for their games. So um, every year people buy their year pass, I believe, and they have like multiple editions you can buy for the game. Um, so that is a good example of how they keep on supporting the game and people actually buy the game and or the, the season passes so they get supported. The issue with Ubisoft is that they bring out their games in a kind of broken state and then um they fix it after unity. <laughs> unity. for example yeah so what you see syndicate. <laughs> oh sorry um i think i had a frog in my throat oh man you should but i wanted to say assassin's creed unity and assassin's creed syndicate yeah yeah those yeah. are pretty pretty freaking terrible yeah so like... i mean they're not live services game they're not live live games but they were like immensely buggy, but in a fun way. Yeah, yeah, you would have these. But in a fun buns. way. But what they've done is, is that they bring out multiple games, and the division had this issue, and For Honor had this issue, and Rainbow Six had this issue. Is the game comes out in a playable state, but there are a lot of issues with the game. Reviewers point these things out. Some games suffer under, so like they get a lower score, and then what they do is, is they fix the game post-launch so they bring out a lot of patches and they listen to the community and they involve the community which is super cool and then they fix a lot of stuff and then the game actually gets to the level where you say okay but this is the game that should have come out instead of me having to wait six months for this game to reach this level um 
it is a strange move, but it's also maybe a smart move because they can play the card as in we listen to community feedback and because of community feedback, this game is in the state that it is. So people feel involved, which is a smart business move. I just don't know how, how longer Ubisoft can pull this stuff but off. Do you, but do you want to... But do you want to build that kind of reputation like, oh, we put out games that technically work, but it's going to get better down the road. Trust us. <laughs> but can I really? Can I really trust you guys? I mean, I'm assuming that there is a core fan base that'll stick with the game no matter what, and they trust that Ubisoft will do this or whatever publisher is bringing out a game in that state and making it like a live game do you really do like you'll you'll have that core fan base but after the initial hype of the game dies down how much of that is it how much of that is it and is it enough to sustain that game with that model and i mean i guess if you have like a hardcore enough fan base you would be able to sustain it but I don't know if that's something that you can keep doing over and over again without fans just like completely just saying, you know what? My time is very valuable and my money can be well spent in a game that, you know, actually works from the get go and is not buggy and is fun to play. I mean, like, for example, the the game that we talked about last week, Fallout 76. <laughs> to be fair, Bethesda did say that this is the first time they are doing a game like this. I honestly would have not picked Fallout to do that with. I would have probably tried it with either a new IP or something that is less storied. Or, like, an IP that's less storied that could take the blow if it didn't work out now since it is a live it, since it's a, since it's a live service i'm a, they already said that they're going to be patching it and adding stuff to it as time goes on but i have to believe that the the, the fan base for that specific game is going to just keep shrinking to a point that it's not um financially profitable for them to like add stuff or patch the game i mean there have been games that do that that have a monthly subscription like for example elder scrolls online that also started off as a regular mmo but the game was so mediocre that it was like, why are we paying for this MMO to the point that they had to like strip out the subscription fees? Now it's actually a successful game in the long term, mostly because they tri they stripped that part out and went free to play. So you, the only things that you're doing is you're buying the expansion packs, basically like Guild Wars or Guild Wars Two. And the game is free to play. And the only thing that you're buying into is, I think, like cosmetic stuff for um, the Elder Scrolls Online. Now, Fallout 76 is a free, is essentially, you know, you don't have to pay a monthly subscription for that. But 
it's also not an MMO, or at least it tries to be, but it fails at it really, really badly. Um, so, like in that perspective, I feel that if you're gonna, if you're gonna like take that kind of risk, make sure that I know that live service games tend to be buggy, and it's par for course because it's an online game. It's something that they have to keep working on it constantly and constantly. But at a certain point, you do have to think as a company, is, it, is this something that we can keep up? And is this something that fans will keep up with? Until they say, you know what? Let, let's not. I'd rather play a single-player game that actually works. It's good that you mentioned it because I kind of think that we as the fans are maybe partially causing that problem because in the end, we keep buying the content or buying the season passes, for example, with Destiny. Um, Destiny 2 came out and then they had like this season pass which had small, small uh, booster packs in it. And then Forsaken came out, and then now they have a new season pass kind of thingy in which they kind of told you people like, okay, this is the content you can expect. And because of maybe our loyalty as fans, or maybe that we just believe the promises that are made every time, we just fall for it and then just <laughs> give us them our money again, and then realize, oh shit, I should have done it. Like I actually did that with Destiny 1. I bought Destiny 1 and I bought the season pass and then the Taken King came out and I bought the Taken King and everybody said, yeah, that's great, it's great. And I played it, but I didn't get my money's worth out of it. And then the, um, the Nildur expansion came out. I believe it was called Rise of Iron and I didn't want to yeah. buy it. And then friends of mine said like, yeah, you should buy it. You know, then we can play together. It's so awesome. Yay. And then I bought Rise of Iron and I even played that less than Taken King. So I partially was dragged into it because of my friends, but I was also partially dragged into it because maybe of my loyalty, to put it that way, towards Destiny, because I did enjoy the base game. So like, in a way, maybe we are keeping that or sustaining that environment in which like, if we just pour enough money into it with smaller transactions, such as microtransactions or with small bite-sized content, they'll just keep on making money and then they'll just keep on supporting the games, even though maybe some games should just die off and let it be for what it is yeah true i mean so here's the th i'm really curious how this is gonna end for 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 some games because like because everything is digital in 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 live service games everything is digital meaning that should that game service end in like five years from now ten years from now Everything's gone. Like, even if you didn't spend a single buck on anything, even if it's like a skin, you spent a lot of time in that. You have a lot of memories attached to that. You played with your friends. You made a lot of friends. The stuff... Okay, actually, I'm kind of probably talking against myself, but <laughs> the... The thing is, at a certain point, it's gonna be gone. Will you feel that it was a it was worth it, or do you feel like, well, the stuff that I gained from it, the camaraderie, the new friends that I made, those were worth it. And even if the game ceases to exist one day, at least I still have that. Um, 
I think I guess uh, that would be worth something. I think I the mean, memory if you're that kind of person. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you an example. Like I, uh, I fought uh, Battlefield Three is a good example for me at least. I love the Battlefield games in general, but like Battlefield Three for me was the Battlefield game, the best one so far. I poured in, I think, easily three hundred or three hundred and fifty hours in the in the in the multiplayer. I played it with a a fixed set of friends of mine. Like every day, we would just fire up Skype. We actually used Skype back then. We would fire up Skype, and then we would just join one game, join up in a squad, and we would just play the game constantly. And it was we had so many fun and fond memories of that of those times. And then automatically, when Battlefield Four came out or was announced, we're like, "Yeah, we're gonna buy this game because you know we had these great moments." And then we bought Battlefield Four, and kind of turned out to be different than we had hoped. And then Battlefield One came out like a few years later, and we're like, "Yeah, but we still have this moment in which we loved Battlefield Three, you know." And it kind of went back to the way it was. So we bought Battlefield 1. And that also, like, it was a great game compared to 4. But it still wasn't like that magic of Battlefield 3. And now with Battlefield 5, we're like, yeah, we're going to buy Battlefield 5. Because they said they're like, they're looking back at Battlefield 3 a lot. And they're going to use the gunplay and stuff like that from Battlefield 3. So it feels like a trusted game. Let's do this. So we bought Battlefield 5. Yes, I'm enjoying my time in Battlefield 5. I put in a lot of time already. But it's still not the same feeling I had with 3. And I think that because of, and maybe that answers your question, like because we have these emotional attachments or these fond memories of certain moments with games, that we just do it because we kind of want to relive those moments or we want to have similar memories now like we had back then, um, which maybe kind of goes back into the loyalty part in which we just blindly do it and we just, give them their money our money and we're like yeah because you know you gave us some fond memories uh because even to this day when we talk back about those moments in battlefield 3 we always laugh and have fun so it is like um it was well worth the money and we even bought the season pass for that game when it was it was the first game that had a premium pass as battlefield called it and we bought it without a doubt like instantly bomb take my money i want this stuff give it to me right now all right yeah okay so like if Battlefield Five were to just up and croak in like two years from now, you wouldn't be that upset at least. I think it depends on the direction they're gonna take the game. Because for example, now as I mentioned earlier, the game is in a buggy state. If they can't fix that, if they can't get it to a state in which I won't like no more now, I have more issues or frustrations with the game than fond memories. If they can't flip that moment for me, I'll just probably quit playing the game in a few weeks. And now in this case, I don't have a lot of money invested into it like I had with 3. I just bought the base game because there is no premium pass. So I would feel the pain less. But yeah, it'd still be a shame. So we're, we're going to have to wait and see what they do with it. And hopefully they, they turn around and make it better. Otherwise, yeah, we'll just have to find something else to play. Because the funny thing is, in uh, February, we're going to get a, a big game, which is called Anthem, which you probably heard of. And yep. a lot of people are, or I better said, EA is betting on that game to be their proper life service. And then the month after that, we're going to get the Division 2, which is already, the Division 1 is already a life service. So we're going to get these two big games gonna, and they're going to compete with each other in a, in a short time frame. Well, a lot of friends of mine are saying, yeah, we'll just buy it. We're going to buy Anthem because it's a Bioware game, so it probably is amazing. 
and then we'll see about the division. Whereas I'm like, no, 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 I played a lot of division one. I'm going to buy division two and I'll see what I'll do with Anthem when it comes out. All right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm still the, honestly, the jury's out for me. I don't know if I'm going to pick up uh, the division two. I didn't play the division one. Um, tried playing it, tried playing the demo on my PC, but my PC needs an upgrade. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'm not going to try it on that. I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll guess I'll try and take a look at it when it comes out on the consoles. Um, Anthem, I'm really curious about, um, but I, I'm st like the jury's still out on that one. I still want to see what happens when it comes out. Um, what the critics say, what the fans say, um, before I decide to like pick it up and see how that game is gonna work out. Um, do we know if that game is gonna get like, like does Anthem have a season pass? Um, I haven't found sure. anything about that yet. I don't know for sure, but what I do know is that they, um, what they did is they kind of like they said it on Twitter the other day is that they're, but they believe in an open and transparent process around the game's development. So they are constantly being honest to people. For example, they're going to do uh, multiple demos before the game comes out. Um, I see that the game is not going to get a season pass, so it kind of fits into the uh, overall strategy of EA of not to segment the user base. I love saying that word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's not going to get a season pass. I'll probably have microtransactions, but how are they else going to earn money on it? Um, We'll have to wait, but like the developers are open about it. They're like a lot of questions that are asked early on, they answer or they kind of like vamp out because they can't answer them just yet. But they're going to bring out, I believe, two demos, like a private demo or a beta and like a public beta. And uh, I remember like the other day somebody said like, yeah, yeah, but why are you bringing out a beta It's like or a demo? Because it's like super easy to do that. And they actually said oh, like it costs us more time and money and work to make a demo or a beta than just like, it's not like we just take one level and we export it and we just throw it out there for you guys to play. Um, uh, let's just love it when fans try to pretend that they're like armchair developers and think they know how game development works. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was my alarm going off, by the way. Sorry for that. <laughs> yeah, I think mine is about to go off too. Cool. Do you have any final thoughts yeah. on this segment? Um... No, I think we, I think we talked about it extensively for, for at least for what we've played ourselves. Um, I'm like I said before, I'm gonna try and put in some more time in that Lightbringer game and see like what that's about. Um, definitely gonna play some more Warframe when I have the time, um, because that actually looks really fun to play. I, I mean, I played it on PC like really briefly, um, like I think it was like like a trial version i played it a couple of years ago and it was a completely different game back then but it's a nice game yeah yeah i mean i, I heard that a lot of it has changed so i'm curious curious to see what that's all about but yeah i mean yeah cool good talk yeah um so uh that's it for our second segment stick around everybody uh for our third and final segment of this episode we'll be right back <laughs> And welcome back to the third and final segment. Uh, we're going to continue our discussion a bit uh, in terms of live games. Um, more specifically, the effect that live games have had or 
if they in fact do have on the stuff like single player, uh, traditional multiplayer, um, and stuff like that. Um, as a Nintendo fan, I do not feel that kind of pressure. Um, maybe Sean does, but <laughs> I don't. Um, although to be fair, though, Sony has been doing like Sony has been doing, and also been partnering up with third parties that share in the sentiment of no live services probably is not the way of the future, at least not exclusively. Um, but that's what we're going to talk about in this segment right now. So, um, yeah, so th there have been at least this year, this in 2018, even with the meteoric rise of Fortnite and PUBG um, and the staying power of the games like The Division and Rainbow Six Siege, um, and the like, you still see that there's a bunch of either um, like two-player, multiplayer-specific games or small group online games like Monster Hunter World um, or single-player games that are like exclusively single-player. They are, they still exist, and yeah, they do pretty well. I mean, the game of the year was God of War, and you gotta admit that that is probably the biggest single-player game that we got probably by far last year. And that wasn't affected by the fact that Fortnite exists or that PUBG exists or that people are playing stuff like uh, Rainbow Six Siege. I mean, at least that's how I see it. I think um, that... Let me just put it this way. Sony has multiple times like confirmed or said like, hey, we are still going all in on, on single player games. Live services or live games will not affect the way we make our games. And I think that the last few years or at least the last two years have been like a testament to, to the word. Like last year we got God of War, which was a Sony game. We got Detroit Become Human, which was a third, second party game, but still like a single player game. We got the amazing Spider-Man and all these games were all single player games. And like the year before, we got Horizon Zero Dawn, we got Neo or Good Neo, uh, we got Near Automata, which are all single player games. And like Oh my sweet. <laughs> Near Automata, that game is I I you know what I wanna do? I wanna I wanna be on a deserted island and play that game and just like really just explore that game. Well, let's so, let's make it happen, man. <laughs> <laughs> I would do anything to get you to play PlayStation games. You know me. Let's make it happen. Yes. Here's an idea. <laughs> Have Nier Automata come out on Switch so I can actually play it on a deserted no, 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 island. No. We're not going to do that. We're not going <laughs> to make Nier Automata portable or playable on the go. You're actually going to yes, play we're it gonna on do a that. I'm, console. I'm, I'm saying it right now. Like, I'm predicting it right now. Square Enix are going to see the error of their ways and they're going to make a Nier Automata port and it's going to come out this year. It's probably going to be like summer or, or something like that. If anybody if they, from if, Square Enix if, if, if they don't, they're just... If they, if, they, if they don't, then they're just missing out on free money. No, no, because no. Because no, I would no. buy it in a heartbeat. 
let's just let it stay on PlayStation. I mean, like, there's a lot of stuff moving around. We we're happy with where we are, but like, <laughs> but, but like, that's the beauty of it. Like, Sony is committed to single player games, and you kind of see it with their strategy this year. We have, for example, Days Gone, which is finally going to come out this year, which is a single really player though? game. Is it hey, really going to come out this year? They released really a trailer though? yesterday confirming that the release date they said for April is still set. So it's going to come out this year, finally. But like, even April is still that, a ways off. A lot of things can happen in a couple of months. No, 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 no. Just like you said, you're near a thumb of stuff with the Switch. Mark my words. Days Gone is coming out. But like, also with. For example, The Last of Us, I made the prediction in our last episode, I believe The Last of Us will come out this year, which will mark a huge single-player game. And for example, Sony also announced a game last year, or even before the year before that, I believe, Ghost of Tsushima, which is uh, the game made by Sucker Punch, the guys behind Infamous, which is also a single-player game. I kind of do hope that game comes out this year, but like that's the beauty of it. Sony is committed to single-player games, and... Some might say it's because they don't really excel at making multiplayer games. Like the Sony exclusive games generally don't have a great multiplayer. You can just name a few titles. All Stars. Yeah, like I, I remember one game on the PS3, which was called Warhawk, which was kind of like our version of Battlefield, which was really nice. Yeah, Sony doesn't shine a lot in the multiplayer space, but that's kind of why we have our third parties for like the Destiny yeah, and the Red Dead. Yeah, but Warhawk fail mostly because it was tied to the the six axis controller. Uh, let's just. I think I think that was kind of the the. I think I think that was the thing that brought it down the most. No. Kind of like Lair. No, no. <laughs> no, there were other things at play. We we can't just discuss those things, unfortunately. <laughs> Moving on. Next, uh, 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 how was Nintendo's perspective on uh, on uh, this uh, uh, Maxim? <laughs> I mean, come on. Do you even really have to ask me that? Because you know the answer to that already. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, yeah. I mean, Nintendo, here's the thing with people that, that think about Nintendo's only, like, single-player stuff. It's like they don't. I mean, the probably the quickest-selling game that we had this holiday season was Smash Brothers Ultimate. I mean, that game sold 5 million units in its first week worldwide. That is... That, like, to put that in perspective... The most, um, the 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 game the the Smash version that has the biggest fan base is Melee, and that game sits at I think seven point two million oh, in damn. its entire life. Oh, meaning that the that Smash Ultimate is basically surpassed that within its first month of sales, and it also cost with Pokemon Let's Go a huge spike in Switch sales as well. I mean those. Two slash three games are big. They're not only um, single player games, but they're also multiplayer games. Like Smash specifically is a multiplayer franchise, but with this version, with uh, Smash Ultimate, they also had a really big single player um, uh, adventure game, adventure RPGs game called World of Light, oh, where you where you unlock characters and what they call spirits. And you battle like these spirits that take over the main characters' bodies, and they mimic their movements. It's actually really kind of awesome. I'll send you some vids on like a few of these battles that basically mimic stuff. Like for example, um, there is a battle where you fight against 
uh, Hal Emmerich from Metal Gear. Oh, but it, but he take but he takes over the body of Doctor Mario because you know they're both doctors, and oh. he's being protected by a giant Rob the Robot, which <laughs> takes the place of a Metal Gear. Oh, so like nice. imagine like imagine seeing that, and it's just hilarious, and it's just like those kind of fun things are in there as well. So even though Smash is a big multiplayer franchise, it also has a very big single-player game. Now, they didn't have that in the Wii U version. That one didn't have anything single-player at all, which is probably also one of the reasons why people don't really like the Wii U version, at least for that aspect. But yeah, I mean, Nintendo does a lot of... Nintendo does what Nintendo does best, and it is to make games that are fun, be it single-player, like Mario Odyssey or... Breath of the Wild, which I'm really jonesing to play again for whatever reason, I don't know. <laughs> um, but also stuff like, say, Splatoon 2. Like, Splatoon was big, especially in Japan, and Splatoon 2 is even bigger. Like, they hold regular tournaments in Europe, in Japan, in the US for this game. They've already held um, one world tournament during uh, E3, and I'm pretty sure that the next World Tournament is going to be at E3 again this year. So look forward to that. Splatoon matches are always fun to watch, especially when it's on the big stage. Because that's when you see like the next level Splatoon gameplay. The same goes with Smash. And there's always going to be developers out there that focus on the single player content. Especially um, when you look at developers that make... RPGs, those tend to be mostly single player uh, elements, unless it's a multiplayer, uh, unless it's an MMO. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of good single player games that are coming out. I mean, The Last of Us Part Two is definitely one of the bigger ones that's coming out this year, and a lot of people are looking forward to that. And I know that Metroid Prime. Well, okay, I don't. I'm not a hundred percent sure that Metroid Prime Four is going to come out this year. But but it is something that's coming out, and that is also a big single-player franchise from Nintendo. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, if you look at, in, like, the Switch, you're going to have a lot of single-player games. You already have a lot of single-player games, um, especially coming from the indie aspect of it all. So, yeah, I mean, it... it I don't think live games are going to have that big of an impact on the single player aspect because everybody's different. Every gamer is different. You like I like JRPGs. And those are mostly single player stints unless you play something specific like um Secret of Mana or the Tales of franchise. Like the Tales of series also has multiplayer in it if you want to do it, but you can also play it single player. So and fantasy had MMOs, right? Like two, I believe, eleven and 14, yeah, eleven and fourteen. Those yeah. are massively online playing games. Yeah. But then you have stuff like Final Fantasy fifteen, which is single player, and it's a big, massive game. And that didn't suffer just because Fortnite exists or that PUBG exists. So when when it comes to the question of will live games have an effect on single player? Maybe, but not necessarily, because you have a lot of different gamers that play a lot of different games or stick to one specific game. Like the people that stick to live uh, games as a live service, 
mostly focus on that game and that game alone. That's the reason why when you talk to a kid and he says they play Fortnite, that probably literally is the only game they're playing. Unless they have parents that are also into games and try to get them to play other games as well, you know, as a family. But other than that, yeah, I mean, if you're into like, for example, visual novels, then that is either the most the game that you're going to play the most, like Danganronpa, or if you're someone who is into like beat-em-ups, you're going to play like Senran Kagura, or you're going to play Nier Automata, or if you are into first-person shooters like you are, you're going to play a lot of, you know, Battlefield or Call of Duty, and... I, wait, does Battlefield actually have a single player? Battlefield uh, yeah, it has something called War yeah. Story. So, okay, so at least that one still has single player. Call, Call of Duty, Duty doesn't, doesn't have, have anymore. Doesn't. Yeah. No, but honestly, I and I think that's kind of an injustice because I have known gamers that love the single player games from Call of Duty because they I like the it. roller coaster game. They like the roller coaster gameplay of the single player. And now they decided to just not do it. And I think even though they'll still have a lot of people that invest in the multiplayer, they are missing out on the people that buy their games just for the single player. So, yeah, yeah, like that's the, the thing I wanted to ask you is that like with, with this, the push towards live services that we see and then of course some publishers or developers saying no 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 we're still going to go double down on single player games um we've saw we've we've seen the season passes being introduced we've seen yeah. microtransactions introduced and i'm wondering isn't the next business model we're going to go towards a model <laughs> in which we uh, have something like subscriptions, for example. I know that World of Warcraft um, did this uh, a couple of years ago, and I believe it's still like a, a subscription-based game. But I wonder that, like, isn't gaming going to go towards a subscription-based model? And then, like, did they lower the the they make it an entry-level thing? Like, you buy Call of Duty for I believe thirty euros or thirty bucks or whatever you want to call it, and then you either pay like a monthly fee. Or you pay like a yearly fee and then they just bring out one Call of Duty and they just like keep on updating that every month and they're not going to annually release a new game. Or EA does this with FIFA. They bring out FIFA, let's call it Ultimate, and then every year they just add features to it and other stuff. Yeah, so here's the thing that I... Here's the thing about when you bring up FIFA. I honestly think that FIFA... Madden, all those sports games should be a live a live service. They should, mostly because the only thing that happens in those games is a roster update. So, and even when, like, every year they try to bring out a new version and they try to add more realism to the game, but honestly, at a certain point, you're going to hit realism, a realism wall, where you just can't surpass it and you know you've gotten so real in quotes <laughs> that it doesn't add a lot i mean so those games i feel they should become services but then you hit a very interesting problem with those kinds of games where they tend to sell a lot on older systems in um developing countries like say 
like emerging uh, economies like say Brazil mm. like if we go to like if we go to like Central America or um, Middle East Asia or basically places where you don't have a great internet connection at all to receive these kinds of stuff that's why they still release FIFA Madden um NHL? Do they still do NHL? I think they do. NFL, um, stuff like that. Yeah, they do those games. Yeah. That's why you still see yearly releases. And I think that's the reason why you're going to still see stuff like yearly releases. I mean, if the publisher's focus is not those kind of markets, that's when you start seeing stuff like The Division 2 and, um, and Call of Duty going that route and Battlefield 5 going that route and Fortnite and stuff like that. Because it requires a continuously online connection to do that. And let's be honest, the world does, is not uniform when it comes to online connections. Like Europe probably by far has one of the better connections in the world. I mean, even in the US, if you live in a rural area, you, you're not guaranteed to have a great connection. Um, so do you, A, take that risk as a publisher and just put out a live game and just miss out on people that won't be able to play your games because they don't have the internet connection to support it? Or B, you either make a multiplayer game that has a single player aspect to it, or C, just bring out two games. Like, I mean, there are publishers that bring out single player games there are publishers that do both. So it's the decision comes to the publisher of what they think is going to be feasible for them in terms of, um, yeah, financial success. It's funny that you should say that because, like, something that I've said and, like, in a way maybe hope the industry goes towards is that, for example, when I buy Battlefield and I had it with Battlefield 1 and I had it with Battlefield 5 is that, I buy those games specifically for the multiplayer. I don't buy those games for the single player. And if it were up to me, I would just want like a pack that I could either say I will buy the multiplayer only and I'll pay 30 bucks for it. Or I want the single player only, I'll pay 30 bucks for it. Or I can get them both and I'll just pay the normal retail price of 60 bucks. And I would, I would prefer that because, you know, I pay 60 bucks just for the multiplayer. And I understand from a business point of view that it's a good move because Activision proved with Call of Duty last year that people are still willing to pay 60 bucks for a game that is multiplayer focused. I just don't think that, like, I, I in a way, hope that it will happen, that we can just like choose what we want because otherwise, you know, sometimes I think, okay, but should I really spend my 60 hard-earned bucks on this game just for the multiplayer or should I just wait out until it hits a sale moment and I just buy it, swoop in and buy it for for cheap? Like I did that with Mass Effect Andromeda. I thought, you know what? I'm not going to buy this game for 60 bucks because it's not worth my 60 bucks. If it hits 30, I'll do it. And like after a couple of months, it hit 30 and I instantly bought it. Never finished it. That's a different story. But like you get to these points in which you start thinking like, okay, but I need to think closely about how I'm going to spend my hard-earned money. And then it would be amazing if we could just choose, like, okay, do we buy a single-player portion or do we buy a multiplayer portion? Mm, well, okay, so if you're going to do that, then one, 
it's not gonna it's not gonna be like cheaper because they split the game in two because right now we're we're at a point where game development is just costing a lot i mean that's why we're seeing this shift to live services for games that is the real reason why it's happening it's not because they just want to milk you dry it's also because from a financial standpoint it's something that they can't sustain. They, like, here's the thing. Here's the thing that should have actually happened with video games, and I'm probably gonna get a lot of flack for it. It's gonna be really unpopular uh, opinion, but games should have gotten more expensive as time went on, because you see it with every other entertainment media. Like, movies get like going to the movies has only gotten more expensive as the years have gone on with. 3D and 4DX and stuff like that, just to tack it on so that they so that the patrons pay more when they visit the movie theater. But even like if you go to a non-3D movie, those tickets have also gone up in price. I mean, heck, we're watching stuff on Netflix now, and even Netflix recently announced that they're upping the price again. I mean, it's another buck added to it, but you know, still it's another buck added to it and it's yeah i mean i'm not gonna cancel my netflix subscription so yeah no my, neither am i but that's the whole thing it's getting more expensive but that's also because it costs them more because they're doing more like originals and like getting stuff like early exclusive and stuff like that and the game industry is i think the only one that didn't really that hasn't really done that in a really long time i mean We've been paying 60 bucks for video games since I want to say the PlayStation 2 or even earlier than that. And it's been like that. It's the same reason why they started doing a lot of collector's editions. It's the reason why season passes got introduced. And now we're on to the next evolution of that, which is the live services thing. So unless... I mean, if you want to split it in two and like have the option to to buy only the single player game or buy only the multiplayer aspect or buy a bundle that has both in it, something's going to give. And I think it's going to be the pricing. Like if if you have an amazing game like, say, God of War and you had to pay a base price of of like, for example, 80 euros or 90 euros. And it had everything in it. You didn't have to worry about um, having to buy a separate season pass or anything of the sort. Would you buy it? Yes or no? I think I would, but I don't. Yeah, like I would buy it because it's God of War, and I don't know if I would get the value out of that added content with the season pass. I think it'll just be a nice added yeah, but bonus. If it, it, Yeah, but if it if it didn't if if the season pass was included in that eighty euro price, like, I mean, if if it wasn't like oh you can buy it optionally, it's just included in there. You know you're gonna get like a lot of content for the next coming year, and it costs eighty bucks. Like that is the the base price. You don't have to worry about microtransactions for like skins or whatever. You don't have to worry about season passes. It's eighty bucks. Bam, there you go. That's the content prepare to get like more content for the coming year. Wouldn't you do that? I I, I mean, yeah. I know that I would be buying less games if that did happen, but I also know that I that I feel like I'm getting a guarantee that I'm getting a really good game and I can look forward to more stuff coming out 
for that game. So I'd be playing for a longer time anyways. You get more value for your money in this case. Exactly. Because people are talking about, oh, yeah, so like 2020, it's probably like PlayStation 5 and the next box and whatever. (laughs) And like like the play and, and like the Switch Pro and stuff. And like, that's great and all. But the games are not getting cheaper to make. So something's going to give eventually. And if whether it's going to be that we're going to see more uh, games as a live service or that we're going to see more season passes Remasters. or whatever it's going to be to like or whatever it's going to be to alleviate that financial pressure of the developers and the publishers. It's going to happen. We just don't know when it's going to happen or what it's going to be. Or what the basically we don't know what the next the next step is gonna be, like. Well, like uh, we're seeing a, a different trend arising, and that's maybe the part of yeah I, I call it cloud gaming, and that's maybe the part we'll move into, and then maybe the price could also shift towards another point because um, we've seen with for example Sony has bought Gaikai and All Life, and they've come up with PS Now. Um, Microsoft announced that they're coming out with xCloud, I believe, which is their online streaming service for games. There's a rumor floating around that um, what are the, Amazon is working on a game streaming service. And oh, so why on earth is Amazon in the like? No they're in the in they're into the gaming they're into the game industry, but at best they the the only thing that they have active is Twitch. And they have game studios, but honestly, have they have their game studios even put stuff out since I, they bought them? I don't know. I know that like the they bought the studio that did that. I don't remember what the name was. That fighting game that came out as a launch title. Killer Instinct. Yeah, that one. They bought that studio, yeah. and I don't know if they did anything with it. But like the funny thing is, is that for example, Nvidia already has a cloud gaming service. But what they do is, is at least I I tried it out, and what would happen is that you have to pay. At the time, it was free, but I believe it's a subscription now. You have to pay the subscription per month to get access to the service. And then you also need to own the game to be able to play the game. At least that was back then. So, for example, what? you would log into Steam, and then it will check your Steam library so you can play those games. And their version of the story was that you don't have to buy a super expensive computer anymore. You can use one of our super amped up game servers. And if you have a good internet connection, we'll give you a low latency so you can play PUBG on Ultimate Settings, for example. And that's the crux of it, isn't it, with the cloud the cloud gaming internet connections? I mean, I already brought it up before, but especially with this, like with Microsoft moving that way again, and with uh, with like PlayStation Now and all the other services, like the the potential, whatever it is that Amazon is looking into to getting done, whatever that may be, fruition. <laughs> like, if they want to do that, that's fine. But like the worldwide internet infrastructure doesn't exist for that yet. I mean, I guess people are still waiting on five G to be a thing, but that is still like five to ten years from now it's not something that's gonna happen overnight it still is gonna take time to get to the point where cloud gaming is gonna be even remotely viable and i mean until we get to that point i don't know if that what kind of impact that's gonna have but i'm gonna say this and that's this is my opinion 
and that is I like owning my video games. I like being able to like just go to my game library and look like, oh, hey, I have this DS game that I haven't played in a while. I kind of feel nostalgic for it. Let me just pop it into my 3DS or whatever and start playing it. That's fun. With cloud gaming, you don't have that. If Sony decides to say, well, PlayStation Now was fun for a while, but we are going to move on to something else and we're going to shut it down. Meaning that if they ever decide to release games specifically for that, for that platform, you will never be able to play that game again. Which is actually pretty terrible. And it's also kind of the reason why you see people try to preserve um, even stuff like MMOs that don't exist anymore. They're trying to preserve it either through private servers or at the very least try to get the source code so they can um, make some kind of workaround to actually play it again. And as like as a community, um, I feel that it kind of falls to us as a community to try and at least preserve some of the, the at least some, if not all games, because whether or not you like the games or not, I feel like the history of certain games still holds merit. So being able to preserve those games in whatever way we can is a good thing. And with cloud gaming, that threatens that possibility that some games will just be lost to the ethers if it's like an exclusive game for a cloud service. So, I mean, but then yeah. again, that, that, that's my opinion about that. So Yeah, yeah, like I used to have a lot of disc-based games and the last year I've tried to move more towards digitally owned games more in a way that either and it sounds really first world problem me but like when i'm on the couch i don't want to get up and put in a new disc <laughs> i just want to press the place that, that is totally first world problem yeah, like, <laughs> that, that's what i like about buying my games digital i can just sit on the couch and then i can just say oh i don't want to play this game boom playstation button oh i want to play that game i don't have to worry about the disc being in there boom start and just continue instead of Getting up and pull it, looking for that the Blu-ray and then looking for the other. Yeah, but what game. happens when when Sony decides? Yeah, we're gonna shut down PlayStation Network. It's gone, because because right now, right now the Wii U eShop is still live. You can't add any more points. So you, if you don't have any points on your account, you can't buy any. You can't add any more to buy games. But the Wii U eShop is closing its doors this month. At the end of this month, the Wii U eShop is closed. You can't buy any games anymore. You, I think you should be still be able to re-download games, but that's it. And honestly, there were a bunch of games that were exclusive to the Wii U eShop, specifically the WiiWare titles, that you're never going to see anywhere else ever again because either the indie the indie developer has either moved on or they don't exist anymore or for whatever reason those games are just gone and it sounds like a pt on the playstation 
Like you could Yeah, but that was that was a dick move by <laughs> that's that's a whole different I actually heard together. that like you could get a lot of money for your PlayStation if you had PT saved on it. Like a friend of mine told me that they, that these consoles would go on eBay for a lot of money just because of some PT demo. And if you never ever ever connected to the internet again because apparently they pushed out a update to PT that renders PT unplayable. What a dick move. You see, that's why I'm I re- like I literally company. recently thought, like I recently found out about it like I think about two days ago. See, that's why I don't like Konami. <laughs> they keep doing these weird things. Like, why? <laughs> Maybe just yeah, I can't do this right now. I'll, just, I'll keep my opinion yeah. to myself. It's just <laughs> I'm really right. sad as a fan that they're going into this direction. Um, right. do you have any final? Okay thoughts or comments um well there was supposed to be a direct that came out like a week ago nintendo announced it really stealthily on the american like the nintendo of america twitter and then it quietly got pulled and then they went for a twitter direct instead where instead of just having a video they just announced a bunch of new games on their twitter accounts or publishers announce new games for the Switch on their Twitter accounts. Like, for example, um, Dragon's Dark- Dogma Dark Arisen, the port for that, is coming to Switch in, like, I think in April. Cash grab. So, <coughs> Cash grab. <coughs> Sorry. Um, I need to grab some Whatever you want to call it, man. I mean, if it if, if it sells well enough, we might actually get a sequel for Dragon's Dogma. So, <coughs> Cash grab. <coughs> here's, here's hoping. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean... So I, in terms of news, other than the stuff that we've already mentioned, there's not a lot that I have to talk about. So I think we're kind of done for the for this uh, episode. Yeah. Do you have a few more things to uh, to share, Sean? Where like, I know, yeah, you're not on social media, are you? So I guess if you want to contact, um, if you have any comments or feedbacks for Sean Templar, just hit us up on the uh, game Ri- game rivals Twitter at game underscore rival underscore i tried to get game rivals but game rivals was already taken and game underscore rival was also already taken so hence the game underscore rivals underscore i believe they can also um we we host this podcast on anchor and it kind of helps us with distribution and i believe that there's a way in the anchor app to leave a message like a voice message um if people feel like it their feedback or their questions is welcome. I believe we eventually want to move to a segment in which we answer community questions. So that would be really cool. And otherwise, yeah, yeah, everybody's feedback is welcome. Yeah. Also, please leave your feedback on Apple Podcasts and give us a star rating. Um, Any feedback uh, is five stars. (laughs) is uh, welcome, Um, especially because of that. It'll also move us up in the Apple Podcast feedback as well as on... uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your listen to this podcast. Um, We thank you for listening to us uh, being game rivals, and we hope we are are also your game rivals, and we'll see you guys (laughs) or talk to you guys next time. Have a nice day, guys. Laters.